Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, this morning we turn once again to the Gospel of Matthew and parables. Parables are all about movement. As metaphors, they simply do not let us rest, but they move us on. They change our way of seeing. Scholar John Dominic Crossan suggests that Jesus's parables fall into three categories of riddles, examples, and challenges, noting that most of Jesus's parables in their original form were essentially challenge parables with the aim to change people's thinking. This is the power of a parable. It should also be noted that parables are kind of like a a patchwork quilt of historical fact and fiction adapted and colored, interpreted by the gospel writers who intended to reinforce and reflect the particular cerns of their community. Whether the parables are considered challenging is a matter of some importance. Seeing, hear, thinking about the parables as one-dimensional sabotages our creative imagination, inhibiting the, the authenticity of the message. So I want you to listen with your, your whole self to the parable this week, the text from Matthew, chapter 13 verses 34 through 35. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them, nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth and speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden since the foundation of time. Lessons the reading. Thank you. 
I love Shakespeare. I do. I love all of it. I know it's a weird way to start, but I do. I love it. The plays, the sonnets, the tragedies, every bit of it. It's magical to me. The words, they contain this timeless fascination. One of my favorite selections is the opening prologue, the prologue to Shakespeare's famous play, The Life of Henry V. Henry V is a history play, believed to have been written by Shakespeare around 1599. It tells the story of the great King Henry V of England and focuses on the events immediately before and immediately after the great Battle of Agincourt, which occurred in 1415 in what is part of historians call the Hundred Years' War. As the drama begins, a lone actor, the chorus he is called, addresses the crowd to inspire a spark of wonder and, ironically, to beg for their forgiveness. For how could this troop hope to represent such a mighty scene? He begins, Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention, the kingdoms for a stage, princes to act, and monarchs to behold the swelling scene. But pardon, pardon, gentles all, the flat, unraised spirits that have dared on this unworthy scaffold to bring forth so great an object. Can this cockpit hold the vasty fields of France? Or may we cram within this wooden or the very cast that did affright the air at Agincourt? And then there's a pause, it's a dramatic pause. And our humble chorus offers a suggestion to his audience and a plea for their help, for their participation. Oh, pardon, he says. Since a crooked figure may attest in a little place a million, and let us, ciphers to this great account, on your imaginary forces work. Suppose within the girdle of these walls are now confined two mighty monarchy whose high upreared and abutting fronts the perilous narrow ocean parts asunder. Peace out our imperfections with your thoughts. Into a thousand parts divide one man. Think, think when we talk of horses that you see them printing their proud hooves in the receiving earth, for tis your thoughts that now must deck our kings, carry them here and there, jumping over time, turning the accomplishment of many years into an hourglass for the which supply. Admit me, Chorus, to this history, who prologue-like, your humble patience pray, gently to hear, and so kindly to judge our play. It's good stuff, isn't it? I love it. I mean, I mean, even if you don't like Shakespeare, right? There's something about those words that are just captivating. And you're probably thinking two things. First, here we go with the Shakespeare again. And second, that Bible verse we read wasn't even a parable, right? Well, this morning we complete our, our current series on the radical parables of Jesus. Our exploration of the 13th chapter of Matthew revealed that Jesus did indeed teach many, many things through the use of 
of parables. Now, scholars don't agree on the exact number of parables contained within the Gospels, but the range is somewhere between 30 and 50, depending on what you consider to be a parable. But moreover, probably more importantly, the author of Matthew's Gospel tells us that the conveyance of teachings through the use of parables is more than a strategy on the part of Jesus. It is, as this Gospel so often tells us, a fulfillment of prophecy through Jesus. Jesus told the crowd all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. And then he says, this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth and speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. The author of Matthew is quoting from the Hebrew Scriptures themselves. It's in Psalm 78 that reads, Give me, O people, your ear to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a what? A parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. And friends, parables in a variety of forms, whether you knew this or not, can be found throughout the Old Testament. And it seems to be a device that Jesus used quite often to teach powerful lessons. And as we have seen over the last few weeks, parables are, well, they're weird. They're, they're really weird. I mean, they're rarely straightforward, as, as Rev. Amy pointed out. They defy any singular meaning, and when taken very seriously, they tend to confront our comfortable view of the world. Parables afflict us. They challenge us. They stir us up a little. And they force us into uncomfortable possibilities. And yet, I was thinking this week that there's one characteristic common to all the parables that we have heard that, that we really haven't focused on yet. According to the dictionary, a parable is, quote, a usually short fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. And though a parable can be a story based on something that actually happened, as Reverend Amy pointed out in the introduction, for the most part, parables are they're fictitious. They're, they're works of fiction. So when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, though we might have known, he might have known like a real good Samaritan or a real prodigal son, it is highly likely, I hate to inform you, that he just made it up. He just made the characters up and the stories that, that feature them. So Jesus' parables, you might say, are the fruit of his fertile imagination. He had a great imagination. The parables of Jesus reveal and illustrate us the potential goodness of our imagination. They also underscore the way in which imaginative works can be profoundly true, even if they're not historically accurate. Did you hear me? Profoundly true, even if they're not historically accurate. For example, the parable of the prodigal son. It conveys a truth of God's forgiving love and grace in a uniquely accurate and powerful way. And the characters in that story, I have to tell you, probably just came out of his imagination. But the truth that they embody is timeless, it is eternal, it is utterly trustworthy. And so this is where I want to rest, if you will permit your humble preacher this morning with all of you. I want to rest on this idea of the imagination. And why? Well, because over the next few weeks, we will begin a new sermon series entitled Walks of Faith. And through those weeks, we will think about how going deeper into our faith means going deeper into the unknown, into vulnerability, and even risk. We will explore these epic walks of faith in Scripture and think about what it means to join the daring adventure of journeying with God.
And loved ones, as we step out on that journey, I would submit to you that we are going to need every ounce of imagination that we can muster. I mean, think about it. Every fantastic journey begins with imagination and anticipation, does it not? There's a great African proverb. I love it. It says, the eyes of the mind reach the destination before the legs of the feet. I like that, man. Because, you know, if you've been anywhere where you've gone on a really long journey to get to your destination, you know that most of your journey begins the minute your, your journey begins, right? It starts when you get on the plane or the boat or the car. And you imagine and work up how everything's going to be and all that stuff. So I think this idea of imagination might be a bridge between where we have been and where we are heading in the weeks ahead. And this is what I love most about this selection from Shakespeare and Henry V. It's appeal to employ our imagination. You see, the playwright's words, they don't find their potency in the grammar or in the beauty of their arrangement on the page. No, they find their potency in the minds of those who imagine the inner workings of the scenes that are being mimicked before them on the stage. And you know what? I think there's a lesson in there for all of us in that that regard. St. Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish Catholic priest and theologian who is perhaps best known for co-founding the religious order that has become known as the Society of Jesus, or you might know them as the Jesuits. St. Ignatius became the Jesuits' first superior general in the year 1541. And I have to tell you, he was brilliant. He was a brilliant theologian, a gifted and talented spiritual director. Ignatius recorded his method for spiritual formation in his celebrated treatise called the Spiritual Exercises, which took two full years to compose. The treaty is a set of simple meditations and prayers and other mental exercises and was completed in the year 1548, divided into four thematic weeks of variable length. The exercises themselves are designed to be carried out over a period of 28 to 30 days, and all Jesuit hopefuls must enter in through and go through this process before they enter the order. You see, the exercises were composed with the intention of helping participants discern the will of God in their specific life and thereby leading a personal commitment to follow Christ, whatever the cost. And beloved, I have to tell you, Ignatius knew well the importance of imagination. Within the exercises, after the very first week, Ignatius recommended a form of contemplation which he called the application of the senses. It's it's, it's great. It's a way of engaging and studying the gospel accounts or really any scriptural story. For this exercise, here's, here's what you do. You place yourself imaginatively into the scene that you are reading. You move into the very space where the scene is taking place. And as you read the words, you ask yourself, what do you see? What does my mind's ear hear? What do I feel, taste, smell as I read the words on the page? You see, for Ignatius, this was a way to engage the whole self. The whole self, and as a result, gain new and unseen insights for what was said. And the exercise was in his mind to, quote, follow and imitate our Lord more closely. See, Ignatius teaches us that our imagination, guided by the Holy Spirit, can open up Scripture in new and wonderful ways. One of my very favorite artists is a Japanese gentleman. His name is Makato Fujimura. He wrote a wonderful little book entitled Art 
plus faith, a theology of making. And in this little book, he describes an imaginative and creative relationship with Scripture. He writes, what if, what if the entire Bible is a work of art rather than dictates of a predetermined set of checkboxes for us to get on God's good side? What if we are to sing back in response to the voice of eternity echoing through our broken lives? I like that. I like that because I think part of our calling as followers of Christ is indeed to imagine a new world. It is my humble opinion that the use of constructive imagination these days is in short supply and is something we need a lot more of. And I get it. It's easy to grow weary and so familiar with the words that have been handed down to us that we scarcely dare to imagine the reality that they describe for us. I mean, look, we've had the words for a long time, haven't we? Long time. Everybody knows the words, right? Love your neighbor. Check. Care for the least. Check. Be merciful as God is merciful, right? We know the language well enough. But sometimes I think there's something lacking between the words that we say and the deeds that manifest their reality. I mean, have we made room inside of our religious environments for something astonishing? Or have we clever little beings only set out to remove that mystery and that wonder of God's work and presence in our lives and in the world? Are we sufficiently astonished, and I mean astonished, at the teachings of Jesus? Or has it become so familiar that we take a lot of it for granted and as a result, fail to perceive the amazing truth that it bears? Now, I know it may sound a little harsh, and it's just my opinion, but I think that maybe the reason we do not astonish the world more as Christians, maybe is because we are not sufficiently astonished ourselves. Because for Christians, life and power begins in the passive voice, you see. It's a passive verb. It's not that we love. It is that we have been loved, you see. Our frequent tendency is to push right on past to the active voice, which is fine. The active voice of doing without experiencing the sheer wonder of God expressed and made manifest in the work and person of Christ. The words of 1 John say it when he thinks about Christ. The writer says, behold, what manner of love that God hath bestowed upon us. Beloved, the first and lasting source of joy and power is astonishment at the breathtaking miracle that God, the God of the universe, has come into our world of need and struggle and pain to be with us. What happens in the active voice depends first on what happens in the passive. I mean, just imagine, just imagine for a moment the degree of love and compassion embodied and exemplified by God in the person of Christ. Yes, I would submit that if we were more astonished, maybe we'd do more astonishing things. Perhaps what we need is to allow God to set us free to begin the exciting and dangerous work of first imagining a new world. Perhaps it would be better to say that we need the grace of God to free us 
to use our imaginations in new and wonderful ways. After all, if you don't remember anything today, just remember, creativity is nothing more than applied imagination. That's it. That's what creativity is. And I mean, we mere mortals can only create that which we imagine to be true. And so let me encourage you, friends, this morning. Let me encourage all of you to boldly and always, whether it is reading Scripture or simply contemplating the world around you, to use your imagination boldly. For this is how I think the real power of Scripture, of reality, will unlock itself to you as Ignatius described and as Shakespeare's chorus so eloquently articulated. Allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to let the Holy Spirit in and encounter the Word of God in new and wonderful ways and then let it, by the authority of Christ, compel us to imagine a new world and most importantly and finally, let's get busy. Let's get busy making that whole on earth as it is in heaven thing, yeah, a reality. We don't just pray those words, by the way. We do that. We do that. I mean, just imagine. To quote John Lennon, it isn't hard if you try, right? Imagine a world where no one goes hungry. No one. Imagine a world where everyone, and I mean everyone, is treated with dignity and respect as a creation of God. Just imagine. It takes imagination to do just about anything. It takes imagination to create weapons of destruction. And it takes imagination to create communities of healing and, rec and reconciliation. It takes imagination to rob people of their dignity by creating corrupt systems. And it takes imagination to offer everyone an opportunity to live a full life as a child of God. So I guess that's the real question I have for all of you this morning. It's pretty simple. What will you imagine? Now, a word of warning. When you submit yourself to a world of wonder, a kingdom of God that Jesus talked about, I can assure you, I promise you, there will be a lot of resistance. But be of good cheer. We follow the one whose grace and mercy are such that they cannot be silenced and embraced by that love. We are invited to go forth and engage in the work of creating a new world every single day. And beloved, that is the most exciting work that any person I think could be about. So again, that's my question for you. What will you imagine? If you're here today as one who has been wounded by the church, it is my hope and my prayer that your experience with us this morning in this space will allow you, maybe for the first time in a long time, to imagine belonging to a faith community that sees you that hears you, that loves you, and values you, just as you are. And in that space, maybe healing can begin. Just imagine. It is my hope and prayer that every single one of you, regardless of how long you have been here, might be bold enough to imagine a world where social isolation has been eradicated. Where we all come together empowered by the breathtaking and astonishing power of the Incarnation to light a beacon on this hill for all the world to see. Just imagine. Friends, imagination is both a means of perception and a path to meaning. By it, when properly attuned, we come not only to understand our reality, to see it more clearly, to have washed away the film of the familiar, but we also come to participate in the very nature of God as creator.
We imitate it. And that imitation gives rise to new realities, things that have never existed before, things that ought to aid us in seeing our realities more clearly, perhaps with that kind of an understanding. We can come to understand God, the real, in an even higher manner than we did yesterday. Perhaps we can come to a better relationship with our God, with one another and with the world. When I think about the power of imagination and creativity, it brings to mind a, a story. A little girl, a little preschool girl, first day of school. Teacher gives them all an assignment, blank piece of paper. Create something for me, she says. And this little girl wastes no time. She gets after it. She is intent, earnest, she's creating. And perhaps sparked by that earnestness, the teacher goes over and goes, sweetie, what are you making there? What are you making? It looks really important. And without even looking up, the girl says, I am making a picture of God. And the teacher just kind of laughs, you know, that laugh that teachers do sometimes. We all do it with kids. Well, honey, nobody really knows what God looks like, she says. And without even looking up from the page, she goes, well, they will in just a minute. I love that story. I do. Friends, to quote one of my favorite movies, look around you today. The powerful play of life, it goes on and you are here. You get to contribute a verse. I wonder what your verse will be. What will your picture of God look like? And friends, your verse and your picture are important because they may be the only picture of God that someone ever sees. It may be the only verse that someone ever hears. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to make mistakes or get it just right. Just start imagining and start creating because you have a voice and you have a gift to bear. And I know that love has no bounds. And it comes and presents itself in a beautiful mosaic of possibilities. And it all begins right now. Today with your imagination. After all, as the great poet William Blake once wrote, what is now proved was once only imagined. Your takeaways for today. We can only create what we can imagine. We need the grace of God to free us to use our imaginations in new and wonderful ways. Creativity is really nothing more than applied imagination. Imagination is a, both a means of perception and a path to meaning. Through our imagination, we imitate the creative nature of God and give rise to new realities and understanding that lead us into better relationship with God, with one another, and the world around us. Will you pray with me? Generous and ever-faithful God, you have spoken to us through your inspired word. Now grant us grace to be not mere hearers of your word, but doers also. Guide us from here by the light of your spirit, that we might believe and act on what has been revealed to us today. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.